0: Welcome, dear listeners, to a world that lies beyond the realm of the ordinary, where the mysterious and the unexplained converge. Prepare yourselves for an audio journey that will send shivers down your spine and make your heart race. Welcome to Chillers and Thrillers, the paranormal podcast that delves into the darkest corners of the unknown and where the shadows hold secrets. Hello and welcome to Chillers and Thrillers, the paranormal podcast where I read true encounters with the strange and unexplained. No gore, skepticism, or comedy, just 100% true spooky tales. I may slightly edit some stories for clarity and length, and to ensure the podcast is safe for all ears. In the spirit of the holidays and Christmas, tonight we have our Chillers and Thrillers Christmas special. The special will obviously have true paranormal stories, but they're all warm-hearted. They feature visiting family members, guardian angels, and feel-good hauntings and unexplained events. This is also the last episode in Season 1, but I'll be back for Season 2 on January 15th, and we'll continue to update the Chillers and Thrillers YouTube channel with videos in the meantime. When I think of Christmas, I think of coziness and comfort, but also of course, of ghosts. We all know the Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, where author Charles Dickens introduced us to the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. A Christmas Carol has become so ingrained in the Christmas culture that ghosts have intrinsically become tied to the spirit of the season as well. As we all know, Halloween is believed to be the day when the veil between our world and the other world is the thinnest but I personally believe this applies to the holiday season as well. The holidays can also be a hard time for many people. It seems to bring up a deep melancholy. Friends and family who are no longer with us are missed deeply and loneliness can be exacerbated. But I also think the holiday season can be a time where we see the best of people and humanity. Even if you don't observe Christmas, there's something about the year coming to an end and the Christmas holiday that makes people kinder and gentler with one another. And if you're feeling a bit low or lonely this season, please know you're not alone, and we have a pretty cool community starting up on the YouTube channel, so I'm sure you'll find some like-minded people in the comments section. Lastly, I wanted to say thank you from me to you. I never imagined my podcast would be listened to by people beyond my very supportive friends and family. And to see listeners in different corners of the United States, Europe, South America, Australia, and New Zealand, Tuning into my episodes makes me incredibly happy. So thank you very much for listening and for showing your support. I also wanted to thank Felipe Ojeda, a.k.a. The Ghost of 94, who provided the voice of the farmer in our first story. If you like scary stories and creepypasta, Felipe's YouTube channel, The Ghost of 94, has some amazing and high-quality, and of course, incredibly creepy, stories as well. You'll find the link to his channel and social media in the show notes. Please check him out. Now, let's get to our stories. So grab some eggnog or hot chocolate, turn down the lights, and listen in. The farmer's warning. Submitted by user Stripy Midnight Checkers. Every now and then, I need to travel for work and because of the nature of my work, it's usually to places in the middle of nowhere. I fly out of the capital city I call home at the crack of dawn, and two flights later, I'm driving out to the countryside towards my destination, a small town with a population of about 1,200. The town itself is super tiny, an old pub that doubles as a hotel, a motel across the road, a petrol station, and a four-square. Because it's mid-morning, I bypass the town to drive to work a wind farm nearby. I'm there until the end of my work day, which is at about 6 o'clock. I'm absolutely exhausted at this stage, but the town is only about a 5 minute drive away. As I'm turning out of the farm and onto the main road to head home, a man waves me down. He's a classic southern bloke. Shorts, gumboots, swandry, big hat, etc. He's got the red face that suggests he spends most of his time in the sun, and the scraggled beard that says he'd do something with it if he was one of those city fellows with their mochachinos. He flags me down and I pull up next to him, wind down my window. You going left? Nah, mate, I'm going right. Good to hear. Piece of advice. Don't go left. Nothing good will come of it. That's a dead end, that is. This is weird, because you can go left from where we are. The road leads to a much more populated town than the one I'm going to. I turn to look left in case of oncoming traffic before I pull out, and a car speeds past, heading left. Farmer Guy grips the driver's side door before I can pull away. Don't go that way. It's not for you. I turn to thank him, make sure he won't get hit as I pull away, but he's already walking away towards the nearest paddock. I remember watching him walk away because there isn't a gate in that part of the paddock. I was wondering, is he going to just jump the fence? Is he moving out of my way? But right when he gets to the fence, a wind kicks up and I get some grit in my eye. I look away from him to clear it. And when I look back, he's gone. I pull out of the road and head to the motel. The motel is owned by the same people who run the pub. So after I park up, I cross the road to the pub to pick up my room key. I figure I'll ask about this farmer and what he's talking about. As soon as I mention a farmer warning me not to turn left, the owner nods. I haven't seen him, but other folks have. Reckon he's some kind of ghostly alarm bell. Apparently, he gives people directions. Ignoring him is said to lead to death. (laughs) Haha, yeah, right. Good yarn. Give me my key so I can leave and the locals can have a laugh. I take the key and check into my motel. I connect to the local Wi-Fi and I'm scrolling through the regional news when I see that there's been a fatality on the road, not far from the wind farm. A car came off the road and smashed into a power pole, bringing the pole down on top of the car. Based on where the crash happened, it would have been me if I'd been going left. The Diner. Submitted by user one. This happened to a family friend of mine. I like this story a lot because although it does involve ghosts, it makes me fear them less. The story took place some time ago. My family friend was one of the little girls in the story, and she's now a grown woman with children of her own. When my friend was a little girl, her father died unexpectedly due to illness. Her mother was a waitress and now a widow with two young girls. It was getting close to Christmas, and the mother knew she was not going to be able to buy presents this year for her daughters. The family had suffered so much already, and it broke the mother's heart to know Christmas was going to be especially lonely. She decided to head out of town with her kids to spend the holidays with relatives. Children in long car rides can get very cranky. The girls complained that they were hungry and tired of being in the car, so their mom decided to pull over at a diner. She only had enough money to buy food for the kids. And when the waitress came over to take their order, she insisted on bringing the mother coffee and a dinner on the house. You look so tired, ma'am. Some coffee and a hot meal will do you some good. It's on the house. As they were getting ready to leave, an older man approached the family. From under his arm, he handed a wrapped package to each girl. Saying only, Merry Christmas! The girls tore into the packages as soon as they were in the car. Each girl had a beautiful porcelain doll. The mother was astonished at the kindness of the people here. She decided when they drove back, they would stop through this town on their return trip and they would pay this diner another visit. She wrote down the exact address and location of the diner and the family hit the road again. After the holidays, the family attempted to return to the diner. All that was there was a vacant lot, confused and thinking she must have written down the wrong address. My friend's mom pulled into the gas station around the corner and asked the attendant about the diner. The attendant shook his head and said, That place burned down years ago. The mother turned to leave, very confused. You know though, the attendant spoke hesitantly, you're not the first person to come to my gas station insisting you had been there since it burned down. My friend insists this really happened to her family as a young child, and I've even seen the doll she received from the man. She kept it after all these years. Grandpa's last prank. Submitted by user, I still call it Shay. My grandfather John was a notorious prankster He sadly died a few years ago after a long, horrible illness that left him bedridden and unable to communicate. It was very sad to lose him, but at the same time, we knew he was in a better place. During his wake, the American Legion, which he was a member of, was doing their cough and ritual. That's when my phone rang. I was shocked, as I knew I had put it on vibrate. I ran out of the room, looked at it, and the name said John. I don't have a John in my contact, and the only John I knew was lying in the coffin. I double-checked and the ringer was off indeed. As I was walking back in, I heard another phone. It was my cousin's. John was calling him too. Then my uncle got a call, followed by my other uncle. All from John. We realized that grandpa was just messing with us one last time. We acknowledged him for getting us good and we all had a good laugh about it. The goodbye party submitted by user Kay Brooke. A few years ago, my grandma died after several years of declining health. She was under hospice care and passed peacefully after a brief coma. The next day, Our next door neighbor asked my mom if the party the night before had been as fun as it looked. My mom, as you might imagine, was quite confused. She and my sister had taken the night watch at the hospice so my husband and I could get some sleep. The neighbor explained that she had seen the kitchen lit up full of happy people around the time my grandma died. We decided that in true grandma fashion, she had left with a party and a drink. Aunt Adlyn's Pink House. Submitted by user Amy Bowen. My great aunt was the coolest, chicest and beautiful woman I knew. She loved the color hot pink. She wore hot pink lipstick and blush. The carpet of her cottage was even hot pink. My mother was like Aunt Adlyn's daughter and she inherited the cottage after my aunt passed away. My mom kept everything as it was until the day she and my dad tore down the old building and built a new home. My parents painted the inside of the house a soft yellow. The outdoor siding is red. Everything was great until one day, years later, when my mom and I walked into the upstairs bedroom. It was bright pink. My husband didn't believe us until he saw it himself. At the same time, the outside siding looked bright pink. My dad had a tizzy and was about to replace all the siding when my mom piped up. It's Aunt Adeline. She's just checking in. The walls went back to yellow. The siding went back to red. To this day, the bathroom and the siding will randomly turn pink. My mom and dad take this as a sign to update Aunt Adeline about the family. And then it all goes back to normal. grandpa's visitor submitted by user grammar B L Ready. my great great grandfather was on his deathbed at his home in rural northern ireland he was being cared for by a nurse and the whole family had gathered to pay their respects and be together for his passing various family members had been stopping by to visit for the last few days of his life but he wasn't conscious one afternoon the family had gone out leaving the nurse and my grandfather alone for a couple of hours. A woman appeared in the doorway of his bedroom, with thick brown hair and familiar features. She looked exactly like the rest of the family, but the nurse hadn't met her before. The nurse hadn't heard her knock, and so she assumed this woman was another visiting relative. The nurse greeted the woman and asked her if she would like some time alone with my great-great-grandfather. The woman nodded serenely, but did not speak. The nurse left the room and waited in the lounge. On the wall, there was an old family photo. Now she glanced at it, she recognized the woman. So it was definitely a relative. After a while, the woman left. The nurse got up to say goodbye, but the woman didn't acknowledge her. The nurse thought it was odd, but she returned to her post. When the rest of the family returned later, the nurse told them that another relative had been to visit. They were puzzled. They were all right here, they said. Who else could it have been? A friend? No, no, the nurse said. She was a spitting image of you all. And then she pointed to the photograph. It was her. The room went silent. After a moment, one of the daughters spoke. That's my aunt, she said. His sister. She died twenty years ago. Later that night, my great-great-grandfather passed quietly and the family believes that his sister came to escort her brother to the other side. Uncle Gary Submitted by user Lori strode The Boat Ashore My Uncle Gary passed when I was 25. I'm now 38. He was married to my mom's twin sister, Aunt Barb. They never had kids of their own. Aunt Barb never wanted kids, and Uncle Gary always wanted at least one daughter. I'm the only daughter in my family, stuck between four brothers. My Aunt Barb liked to take me for weekends and school vacations, because A, I was low maintenance, and B, I was just happy to be out of my own house, that I was an absolute dream child whenever they'd take me away. My Uncle Gary taught me how to ski, he taught me how to ride a motorbike, he taught me how to shoot a rifle. My Aunt Barb taught me how to paint my nails without making a mess. She taught me how to make the most perfect tuna salad and since she would gotten into tarot cards, she taught me about reading cards and introduced me to spiritualism at a young age. Mind you, this was all without my mother's knowledge. When I was rounding out my 24th year, my Uncle Gary was diagnosed with cancer. It had spread to his lymph nodes, but he had only just turned 50 so his prognosis was good. Despite his prognosis, he underwent experimental levels of interferon. There is still some debate within my family as to whether or not a nurse was heard scolding another nurse for giving him one treatment too many in any event uncle gary didn't die of cancer he died of his treatment he had just turned 50. uncle gary was always a big kind of scary though not to me biker looking mechanic who worked for rider trucks for a living but in his free time he tore with a posse and tow over to the badlands of south dakota to donate shoes and coats I remember him being 6'3", a good 220 pounds, kind of looking like Grizzly Adams on his best day. When he passed, he maybe weighed 160, had lost his hair. A month or so after Uncle Gary passed, my dad, who was more than a brother-in-law since they had grown up together, announced that he had bought tickets to Vegas for him and Uncle Gary for a trip to celebrate Uncle Gary recovering, but unfortunately Uncle Gary died. Dad still wanted to go on the trip. We felt, as a family, we needed this break. Aunt Barb didn't want to go, so she stayed home. On this trip in Vegas, I was asleep one night, and Uncle Gary came to visit me in a dream. He wasn't sick and gaunt like he was when he passed. He was back to his old grizzly Adam self, yet still dressed in the blue suit we buried him in. In my dream when I saw him, I went running to him, threw my arms around what I could of him and held him so tight, only for a second. Then he pulled away, and I started crying, and he had no words, but he gave me a toothpick. Yep, a toothpick. When I woke up, I told my mom about the dream, and when we got back from Vegas, we searched all the books on what limited internet that was available at the time to find some significance to this toothpick. Nothing really stood out. A few months later, Aunt Barb was at my mom's house, and my mom said it was okay to tell Aunt Barb about my dream, so I did. She didn't freak out or get sad. Rather, she told us how, that weekend when we were all in Vegas, she took the opportunity to finally go through Uncle Gary's closet so she can donate clothes on his behalf and his friends could bring them to South Dakota. She swears to this day, as she was going through the shirts that were still waiting to be dry cleaned, she pulled handfuls upon handfuls of toothpicks out of his shirt pockets. I have no reason to doubt her and he hasn't come to me in a dream ever since. But I think that one time at that moment, he needed to let us all know that he was back to himself and that he was fine and that he did, in fact, make it to Vegas and that he was at peace. The Guardian submitted by user Little SM, 45H. I was in a minor car accident. I was t-boned at an intersection. About 100 meters before I hit the intersection, I felt a hand on my shoulder and a male voice tell me to slow down. I was already a few kilometers under the speed limit, doing 55 in a 60 zone. I was in the car with my then three-and-a-half-year-old daughter she was on the passenger side in the rear and would not have been able to touch me through her restraints. The other car hit me at a high speed in the front passenger side. If I'd been going any faster, my daughter would have taken the impact and not survived. A few days later, my very healthy and uninjured daughter was babbling in her bedroom. I went to check on her and she told me that she was talking to Grandpa K. I I asked where he was and she just pointed to the corner of her room. I figured it was just her imagination and walked away. About a week after that, she was at my mom's house and said, Hey, Grandma, Sunny says he's sorry he left, but he's looking after Mom for you. Grandpa K was my mom's dad. He passed before I was born, and my mom never really mentioned him when I was growing up. Grandpa's K nickname was Sunny. I didn't even know that until that moment. Aurora, submitted by user SarahX11. When I was around 20, a few years ago, I kept having dreams about a woman with long black hair named Aurora. There were different dreams, but for some reason, her distinct face and name always ended up in them. It got to the point where I would wake up frustrated and confused, trying to Google her name or found out how I was connected to her. After a few months, she stopped showing up, and I dismissed it. Fast forward a few years later, Halloween 2009. I'm in the car with a friend, stopped at a gas station. I'm about to pull out and merge onto a highway when I get a phone call from a random number. So I stopped the car, but no one answered. There was a person behind me who grew impatient, honked at me, and then swerved in front of me instead of waiting for me to move. The second they got on the highway, a Silver Civic lost control of their wheel and crashed into the car that swerved in front of me. We called the cops and waited at the gas station for them to come. Unfortunately, it turns out that accident was fatal for both drivers. It 100% would have been me if I hadn't gotten that phone call. I called the number back a few hours later out of gratitude and curiosity. It rang three times and then went to voicemail. Hi, you've reached Aurora. Please leave your name and phone number. Never have I ever had goosebumps like that in my life. I called it again the next day because I was that confused about the whole situation. Some woman answers. We get to talking. I tell her my entire story, including the dreams I had. She tells me she doesn't know how I got her number and that she never called me as far as I remember. Later on, I connected with her on Facebook to confirm if she was in fact the woman in my dreams. And it was her. Grandpa's Goodbye, submitted by user Land. This happened when I was 11. I still remember it like it was yesterday. My grandfather was getting old and had been in and out of the hospital for a few times that year. At that moment, he had been in the hospital for probably two days. We had gone in the hospital to visit him, where I gave him a big hug and told him I loved him and would see him tomorrow. That night, I went to bed and had the most beautiful dream. My grandpa came into the room and sat in the rocking chair in the corner. He invited me into his lap, and he told me he was going away for a while and that someday he would see me again. He told me I shouldn't worry because everything was okay and he wasn't in any pain. I smiled at him and gave him a big hug and told him I understood. I then looked over at my brother sleeping in the bunk below me and asked my grandpa if we should wake him up and tell him. When I turned back around to get a response from my grandpa, he was gone. I ran to the window to look out onto the front yard and there he was waving at me. He whispered, Go tell your mom and dad exactly what I told you. I looked back at the door to my room, then back at the front yard, and he was gone. I immediately woke up, ran to my parents' room, and turned on the light. I told them exactly what Grandpa had told me. They told me it was just a dream and to go back to bed. I told them again exactly what Grandpa told me. Again, frustrated since it was 2 a.m., My parents told me to go to bed and we would talk about it in the morning. Just then, the phone rang. It was the hospital. My mother started sobbing. Grandpa had passed. At that moment, she just sat there with my father staring at me. I still remember their faces. They both looked at each other, then me, then each other, and finally smiled and stopped crying. My nurse was a ghost. Submitted by user LolaBunny3000. In 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had just given birth. At this time, I could only have one other person in the room with me my entire stay at the hospital. Of course, my husband was there. But the third day, he left to clean up our house and get everything prepared for me and the baby. I had gone sick and had a C-section, so I had to stay for about four or five days. While my husband was away, a nurse named Kelly said she would be helping me throughout the day and spending time with me so I wouldn't feel lonely while my husband was gone. I couldn't really hold my baby due to me being sick and the pain from the C-section, so my nurses would come in every time it was time to feed. I noticed when they would come in, they wouldn't acknowledge Kelly, and she would go to the farthest part of the room, and she would tell me, I'm just getting out of the way. Now, she did tell me that she didn't specialize in what the other nurses did. She was just there for comfort and assistance, so I didn't question anything. The entire day, she was so helpful and encouraging to me. I really believe I would have broken down if she wasn't there with me. She was such a sweetheart. After about five or six hours, she told me she had to leave and that she would come visit me before her shift was over to see how I was doing. She hiked me and blew a kiss at my baby and walked out of the room. Later that night, my husband came back and he was very upset. He had told me some stuff happened with his mom and he was sorry it took him so long. I was upset, but I told him a nurse named Kelly kept me company. As I'm telling him about her, my nurse is changing my sheets and she asks, Who's Kelly? I explained and the nurse said that nobody named Kelly was in my room or working that day. I instantly thought about those women who would pretend to be nurses and kidnap children. But my nurse told me that I may be hallucinating, and she told my doctor. I talked to my doctor, and he said the same thing. Well, a couple of hours later, a nurse that I didn't recognize came into my room and said, I know this may sound crazy, but everyone on the floor is talking about how you've seen Kelly. I said, yes, she was here with me for almost seven hours today. She helped out a lot. We're both smiling and laughing while I tell her about Kelly and how sweet and funny she was. Then she pulled up her phone and showed me a picture of her and Kelly that looked like it was taken maybe in the early 2000s. I was smiling knowing that I wasn't hallucinating. She then sat down and told me Kelly had passed over 10 years ago from a domestic violence incident. I wasn't too shocked because my entire life I've been dealing with the paranormal but I got chills because I never had an encounter this deep. The nurse gave me a hug and started crying, saying, now I know that she's okay. Since that day, I've been wondering, why did Kelly come into my room and help me? And I wish I could see her again. The doctor. Submitted by user Catalina. When I was five years old, my mother was diagnosed with late-stage cancer and faced a very difficult course of treatment. With seven kids at home, my dad hired a woman to help out a few days a week with housekeeping. My mother made a full recovery, but by that point, Betty was a part of the family. She was and still is a devout Catholic, salted the earth, daughter of Polish immigrants, very keen on home remedies and natural healing. My father was a physician, respected and loved really by everyone who knew him. He passed of cancer when I was 11. My father treated Betty and her family free of charge and she took his death especially hard. She always told me to pray to him and that he could hear me and help me if I ever needed anything. At the time, I kind of brushed it off and just chalked it up to her being super religious. A few years later, Betty was at home making a large batch of pickles. Her husband was sick with a cold so she applied Vicks to his chest, forgetting to wash her hands before returning to the kitchen. Her hands were slippery and numbed from the menthol, and as she picked up the vat of boiling water, it slipped out of her hands and splashed onto her abdomen and legs. Betty tried to make her own salve to try and heal the burns. However, as days passed, the pain was unbearable, and the burns showed no signs of healing. She reluctantly went to an ambulatory care center where they told her she would most likely need skin grafts. Instead of going directly to the hospital as advised, she went home, prayed hard, and went to sleep. My father visited her in her dream that night and applied a salve to her burns. When she woke up in the morning, she had no pain and the burns were much improved. She went back to the doctor and he was in disbelief. Her skin healed on its own, no grafts needed. She still has some faint scarring, but nothing you would have expected from such severe tissue damage. The Guardian Angel, submitted by user space milkers. I was having the worst few months of my life at this time. I was being treated like garbage at work, pretty much bullied every day by a manager for seven months straight. I had broken up with my partner of 10 years, my literal childhood sweetheart, all I'd ever known, and I was at a breaking point after suffering through two years of dealing with being the target of his mental illness. I cried all the way to the train station after work, full-on, open-mouthed, sobbing like a child. I had enough and was experiencing some pretty dark thoughts. The train station is only small, but is usually busy at the time as it's rush hour. It faces a forest-type area, and looks like a shack, but the trains make a stop once an hour, so there's usually a lot of people. It was pouring out, and I was struggling to breathe through the crying. The rain was loud, and I walked up to the steps. There was a mist from the rain and fog on the lines. It was still day, but the sky was dark and moody. When I took the first step, the rain stopped almost instantly. There was no noises from the usual wildlife scurrying through the bushes. Bird song was gone. No wind. Just silence. I stopped crying, mostly from being startled, and I got a wave of peace cross over me. I half questioned the emptiness of the platform, but honestly didn't pay much attention. I looked down the platform to the only bench, and a young woman sat there. She was wearing a headscarf and a hood, several layers and saw me and beckoned me to sit she was beautiful had this radiant caramel skin big brown eyes and a slight frame I just walked over and sat I was compelled I got such a calm familiar feeling from this woman I'd never seen her before but just felt so at home with her She said I was a beautiful girl and that I should not have such a heavy heart and touched my hand, which instantly felt so reassuring. She said there's a place for all of us. Normally, I'd cringe, but I felt like she broke my chest into pieces and I let all my emotions out on her. She began to ask me about my aspirations and struggles. We talked about how to deal with sexism in the workplace and she gave me the most sincere advice and wisdom. We discussed topics that she brought up, but that directly related to the struggles I was facing. Almost too specifically, she told me her name, which for the life of me, now I can't remember, which is so strange because I have an amazing memory. She just made me feel so at peace. I felt like we were talking for hours but I was shocked to realize the clock at the train station told me it had only been around 20 minutes. All of a sudden she told me she had to go and that she'll see me again sometime and that she knows I will be fine. I have never felt more reassured in my life. I watched her go round the corner and all of a sudden the rain almost resumed is the only word I can think of, like it had paused and then was turned back on. The mist ramped up again. The sound came back to the world as people almost immediately began to fill the platform. I was stunned. I sat there with this overwhelming feeling in my chest that I had experienced this magical moment as the hustle and bustle of people filled my ears. It may sound basic, but the atmosphere was euphoric for that small amount of time. And now, there were people and sound, and it was all so strange. I googled her name when she was gone and went through an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to the name of an angel from Islamic culture. I'm so annoyed, my brain seems to have deleted this name. I remember the most basic interactions and their names, their pets, minor details. But for some reason, I can't remember for the life of me this woman's name, who walked into my life that stormy night, And gave me strength at a time when I had no one. I genuinely almost knew immediately after she was gone. I just met an angel. And I am not religious or particularly spiritual, but the way my mind and body reacted to her was such an intense feeling. If it wasn't for her, I would have continued in a downward spiral, but she touched me and from that moment on I changed my outlook. Our last story of the episode happened over a century ago, but it goes to show strange occurrences and unexplained events have no expiration date. This story is from the book True Ghost Stories by Herroard Carrington and was published in 1912. The Rescue at Sea The following narrative is taken from Mr. Robert Dale Owen's collection, printed in his Footfalls on the Boundary of Another World and the Debatable Land Between This World and the Next. It is quite a famous case and is vouched for by Mr. Owen himself. It is as follows. Mr. Robert Bruce, descended from some branch of the Scottish family of the same name, was born in humble circumstances about the close of the 18th century at Torbay, in the south of England, and there bred up to a seafaring life. When about thirty years of age, in the year 1828, he was first mate on board a bark trading between Liverpool and St. John's, New Brunswick, Canada. On one of her voyages bound westward, being then some five or six weeks out, and having neared the eastern portion of the banks of Newfoundland, the captain and the mate had been on deck at noon taking an observation of the sun, after which they both descended to calculate their day's work. The cabin, a small one, was immediately at the stern of the vessel, and the short stairway descending to it ran athwart ships. Immediately opposite to this stairway was the mate's state room, and from that landing there were two doors, close to each other, the one opening into the cabin the other fronting the stairway, into the stateroom. The desk in the stateroom was in the forward part of it, close to the door, so that anyone sitting at it and looking over his shoulder could see into the cabin. The mate, absorbed in his calculation, which did not result as he expected, varying considerably from the dead reckoning, when he had completed his calculations, he cried out without looking around, "'I make our latitude and longitude so-and-so. Can that be right?' How is yours, sir? Receiving no reply, he repeated the question, glancing over his shoulder and perceiving as he thought the captain busy at his slate. Still no answer. Thereupon he rose, and as he fronted the cabin door, the figure he had mistaken for the captain raised his head and disclosed to the astonished mate the features of an entire stranger. Bruce was no coward but as he met that fixed gaze looking directly at him in grave silence and became assured that it was no one whom he had ever seen before, it was too much for him. And instead of stopping to question the seeming intruder, he rushed upon deck in such evident alarm that it instantly attracted the captain's attention. Why, Mr. Bruce, said the latter, what in the world is the matter with you? The matter, sir? Who is that at your desk? no one that I know of but there is sir there's a stranger there a stranger why man you must be dreaming you must have seen the steward there or the second mate who else would venture down without orders but sir he was sitting in your armchair fronting the door writing on your slate then he looked up full in my face and if I ever saw a man plainly and distinctly in the world, I saw him. Him? Who? Heaven knows, sir. I don't. I saw a man, and a man I have never seen in my life before. You must be going crazy, Mr. Bruce. A stranger, and we are nearly six weeks out. The captain descended the stairs, and the mate followed him. Nobody was in the cabin. They examined the staterooms. Not a soul could be found. "'Well, Mr. Bruce,' said the captain, "'did I not tell you that you had been dreaming?' "'It is all very well to say so, sir, "'but if I didn't see that man writing on the slate, "'may I never see home and family again.' "'Writing on the slate? Then it should still be there!' "'And the captain took up the slate. "'By heaven!' he exclaimed. "'Here's something sure enough. "'Is that your writing, Mr. Bruce?' The mate took the slate, and there, in plain legible characters, stood the words, Steer to the Nor'west. The captain sat down at his desk, the slate before him, in deep thought. At last, turning the slate over and pushing it towards Bruce, he said, Write down, steer to the Nor'west. The mate complied, and the captain, comparing the two handwritings, said, Mr. Bruce, go and tell the second mate to come down here he came and at the captain's request he also wrote the words so did the steward so in succession did every man of the crew who could write at all but not one of the various hands resembled in any degree the mysterious writing when the crew retired the captain sat deep in thought could anyone have been stowed away at last he said the ship must be searched order up all hands Every nook and corner of the vessel was thoroughly searched. Accordingly, the captain decided to change the vessel's course, according to the instructions received. A lookout was posted who shortly reported an iceberg, and then, shortly after, a vessel close to it. As they approached, the captain's glass disclosed that it was a dismantled ship, apparently frozen to the ice. It proved to be a vessel from Quebec bound for Liverpool with passengers on board. She had gone entangled in the ice and finally frozen fast and had passed several weeks in a most critical situation. She was stove, her decks swept, in fact a near wreck. All her provisions and almost all her water gone. The crew and passengers had lost all hope of being saved and their gratitude at the unexpected rescue was proportionately great. As one of the men who had been brought away in the third boat ascended the ship's side, the mate, catching a glimpse of his face, stared back in consternation. It was the very face he had seen three or four hours before, looking up at him from the captain's desk. He communicated this fact to the captain. After the comfort of the passengers has been seen to, the captain turned to the stranger and said to him "I hope sir you will not think I am trifling with you but I would be much obliged to you if you could write a few words on this slate" and he handed him the slate with that side up on which the mysterious writing was not "I will do anything you ask" said the passenger "but what shall I write" "a few words is all I want suppose you write steer to the northwest" The passenger, evidently puzzled to make out the motive of such a request, complied, however, with a smile. The captain took up the slate and examined it closely. Then, stepping aside so as to conceal the slate from the passenger, he turned it over and gave it to him the other side up. "'You say that this is your handwriting?' said the captain. "'I need not say so,' replied the other, looking at it, "'for you saw me write it.' "'And this?' said the captain, turning the slate over.' The man looked first at one writing, then at the other, quite confounded. At last. "'What is the meaning of this?' he said. "'I only wrote one of these. Who wrote the other?' "'That's more than I can tell you, sir. My mate here says you wrote it, sitting at this desk, at noon today.' The captain of the wreck and the passenger looked at each other, exchanging glances of intelligence and surprise. Then the former asked the latter, "'Did you dream that you wrote on this slate?' No, sir, not that I remember. You speak of dreaming, said the captain of the bark. What was this gentleman about at noon today? The captain of the wreck spoke. The whole thing is most mysterious and extraordinary, and I had intended to speak to you about it as soon as we got a little quiet. This gentleman, pointing to the passenger, being much exhausted, fell into a heavy sleep, or what seemed such, some time before noon. After an hour or more, he awoke and said to me, Captain, we shall be relieved this very day. When I asked him about what reason he had for saying so, he replied that he had dreamt that he was on board a bark and that she was coming to our rescue. He described her appearance and rig, and to our utter astonishment, when your vessel hove in sight, she corresponded exactly to his description of her. We had not put much faith in what he said, yet we still hoped there might be something in it, for drowning men, as you know, catches straws. As it turned out, I cannot doubt that it was all arranged by some overruling providence. There is no doubt, replied the captain of the bark, that the writing on the slate, let it come there as it may, saved all your lives. I was steering at the time considerably south of west, and I altered my course for the norwest. "'and had a look out aloft to see what would come of it. "'But you say,' he added, turning to the passenger, "'that you did not dream of riding on a slate.' "'No, sir,' replied the passenger. "'I have no recollection whatever of doing so. "'I got the impression that the bark I saw in my dream "'was coming to rescue us. "'But how that impression came, I cannot tell. "'There is another very strange thing about it,' he added. Everything here on board seems to be quite familiar. Yet I'm very sure I have never been in your vessel before. It's all a puzzle to me. What did your mate see? Thereupon, Mr. Bruce related to them all the circumstances above detailed. I hope you enjoyed that story. This book is actually available through Project Gutenberg, so you can search for it by googling True Ghost Stories by Herward Carrington. I'll link it in the show notes as well. And that's all for our Christmas episode. Thank you again so much for taking your time and listening to the podcast. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts and any stories you may have. Please remember to rate and review the podcast in your preferred podcast subscriber, and please share with your paranormally inclined friends and family. Lastly, I wanted to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I will see you all soon for season two with more true tales of people's encounters with the strange and unexplained. Thank you for tuning in to Chillers and Thrillers. I hope these spine-tingling tales of the paranormal have kept you on the edge of your seat. I invite you to join us again soon, and please, again, feel free to submit your own scary story or your theories to chillersandthrillers@gmail.com. Until then, stay curious, keep your eyes peeled for the unexplained, and never let the fear of the unknown deter you from embracing the extraordinary.